Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This week's Sheer Isolation is an obituary, which is dedicated to Dave Young, who passed away last week. I will uh, hand over to Kieran, uh, because Kieran knew Dave very, very well. Um, so I will let you uh, give a bit of a bit of a summary. I knew him from, since about 2004, 2005. He took over the Vic in Swindon prior to it being turned into his vision. So he... he uh, the word inherited this venue which was um famous in swindon for being a venue that lots of metal bands played um but it i think we describe it actually in the interview you're about to hear but it you know the stage was so the room was like a rectangle but the stage is on the long side so it was a really short gap between band and crowd so you've got more people to the left and right than you did in front of you um it's crazy i saw one really heavy metal show there before dave took it over and dave gutted the whole thing and started again and made it really sensible um, and the venue just kept, you know, came on leaps and bounds. At the, at the time, uh, level three or the furnace was the number one venue in Swindon. And after Dave took over the Vic, that became the number one venue in Swindon. So obviously the the inevitable uh, news came through on Sunday that Dave had um, he passed away, surrounded by his family um, at home, which obviously is devastating. Devastating for so many people. He He meant so much to so many people. Um, but it, it was inevitable. We, we kind of all knew it was going to happen. Um, he, he had cancer, which is common knowledge. People know this. Um, he was given a couple of years to live. He, he outlasted that. He came over to the um, Neald in Chippenham. He saw me. He saw me. We went. We did a show together um, with Anna, and it was it was lovely. Um, and I was talking to him right up until the last few days, texting him, just talking about music and people, asking for memories and people and stuff. And it was it was he was. Still replying right to the last minute. So um, his loss will be hugely felt. Everybody has got a Dave Young story, whether he was chucking you out of the venue or the show or he was mixing your sound or whatever. We've all got a Dave Young story. Um, to me, he was a mentor. He taught me an awful lot about what I know now. Um, certainly steered me in the right direction on a number of occasions. Um, but also, he was one of the very first people to... Um, it, employ me as an sound engineer so he put a lot of faith in me he had a lot of belief in me um and i was able to reward that with good work and the rest they say is history um incredibly sad news i am devastated you know you even with him being sick you just assume that he's gonna every you know people are gonna be around forever and you're gonna do all these wonderful things um, alas i was not able to if you're hearing this um and you and you're aware of dave but weren't aware that he'd passed away um, you can, there is a Just Giving campaign so that you can donate money to the, the cancer charity that looked after in the hospice um, that Gaz Brookfield has set up. There's going to be a bike ride for all the bikers out there that knew Dave. Um, so you can go on a motorbike cavalcade, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't think I could go along with it on my scooter. I don't think that would kind of uh, fit the bill, I'm afraid. <laughs> I can only get about 35 miles an hour. Um <laughs> Uh, but if you're into that, then th there's going to be one of those being organised um, by a few people in Swindon. Um, so I encourage you all to go share your memories, share your stories, because I think that's really important. Um, while someone has died, they live on in your experiences and your memory. And as my friend Gail recently said, um, the people who teach us live, a lot, live on in our work. And I absolutely know Dave taught me an awful lot. And as a result, his memory will live on in everything that I do musically for as long as I continue to do music. Thank you for that, Kieran. That was, that was 
lovely and touching as, as I was expecting it to be from you. Thank you for that. Um, now, Dave did join us on Share Isolation last year and we, we did talk to him for, for quite some time. We, we've got to spend a half hour's worth of interview that we can share and, and we're going to do that today. Aren't we? We're dedicating our entire show over to, to replay the, the interview that we had with, uh, with Dave last year. Yeah, and uh, we, we start the interview where uh, well, Kieran asks his favourite question about where, where he first met the guest, um, and that was obviously uh, do, doing sound for uh, the Vic and the Twelve Bar. We'll, we'll start off with, uh, Dave, can you remember when you and I first met? No. You, huh? you were that important in my life, Kieran, that I can't remember. <laughs> I, well, remember, I, remember well, I remember a lot of stuff about you, but I don't remember when we first met. Where um, was it? Well, um, we, when it was, it was uh, as a band from Devices came and played the Vic, and so I came along with them, and they were called Death Next Door, and it was when the Vic was orientated the other way, sideways, yeah, sideways, with, with the big tall speakers that when you walked in the door you were deafened. Actually, yes. that's when it had a garden shed as the sound room, so you literally that... go in to the mixing desk, adjust it, run out because you couldn't see through the window because people stood in front of it, so you'd have to run out of the shed, listen to what it sounds like then run back into the shed, adjust the sound, and then carry on. Bizarre. And also, the shed was about, there's probably about two or three people deep from the mixing desk and the singer in the band. Correct. Yeah, it wasn't far at all. Yeah. <laughs> that was good fun, those, those days, then. I think the capacity then was 70. Legal 70? Capacity. 70, yeah, sideways. And just by changing it around, it increased to 200. That's absolutely, you know what? I, I, every gig I went into that basement had more than 70 people in it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, when we took the Vic over, which was December the 17th, 2004, because um, the first band we put on was um, Lunar Mile. And Lunar Mile, I found out about them. Lunar Mile is Tony Iommi's daughter. Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. Yeah, wow. So I, I found out about her, and that is the only reason we booked him. <laughs> I was hoping <laughs> Tony would turn up, and in of fact, course. I spread I spread a rumour around that Tony was turning up to see his daughter play in the band. So let, it was Rab, it was Pat. She of was, it was. Really, she was really miffed about it, because um, she said, who's been telling people who I am? Because she was trying to make her band successful without telling people who she was. And I right. just said to her, look, I, I'm here to fill the room which I've done, your <laughs> job is to make him come back and see you the next time because you're good. Yeah. So, <laughs> she was all right. She was really nice. She was really friendly. I was downstairs with the band and she was upstairs on the sofa watching EastEnders with Vanna, I think. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. But that was, that was the first band. And then I put my own band to play in there. I think it was Boxing Day or the day after. And it was just awful. It was the heat in there. The walls were running. It was rammed, but it, it was water running off the walls. And I said to Anna, we've got to put air conditioning down here. So we put air conditioning in before we even changed the layout, which looked odd to people because in front, in, in one of the walls, there was a beam and then there was an air conditioning unit two foot from the wall blowing cold air against the wall, which people couldn't understand. But of course, that wall was coming down in the future plans. So, and then of course, within a short time, we, 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 I think about a year and a bit, I think we, we started the plans to change it all. And because uh, you, you converted it, didn't you? You converted the orientation to the, the way, yeah, it... 
we changed oh. it around. Yeah, put a proper stage in there. Um, it was nice, a little side room. And eventually we put a staircase leading to the flat roof and up into a dressing room up above there. With so a that shower. you could... So yeah, we had a shower. The, the main sofa. reason being so the band didn't have to walk through the crowd to get on stage. They could actually come down from backstage. Correct, correct. Apart from the Way ones cooler. that were scared... Apart from the ones that were scared to go up and down, there's really narrow. They were the sort of steps which were crossed. They were lethal, to be honest. Some bands didn't. Every time but they got wet, you fucking ran a risk of killing yourself. It wasn't good. <laughs> well, we even put a, we even put um, a gangway up there, and we put like a, a roof structure so bands couldn't wouldn't get soaking wet if it was raining. But I mean, some bands wouldn't use it. I mean, we had, um, as you know, Ed Sheeran played, and he yeah. didn't he didn't want to come down through the dressing room thing. So what he did was he went out through the bar, out the front door of the pub, ran round the side. Someone rang me to say he's outside the fire doors. I had someone stood by the fire doors, opened them, and he then just jumped in through the audience onto the stage and started playing. So, Yay! Yeah, something like that. Well, you couldn't hear him, actually. It was just girls. No, of course you couldn't. It was like I, a beat gig. I remember that gig really well because, um, like, from where, no matter where you were stood in the room, you could see all the way through to the stage because all the girls are so young. <laughs> yeah, it was just, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it, was so, cool. it, it was so packed that what we did was I set up a camera and we actually transmitted it to the front bar and I rigged up a PA that I leaked the house PA to so people could come in the bar and actually watch it on the TV screens. So it was cool, go. it was a good gig. What a gig to get though. I mean, I mean, I got it from another promoter, but it was a great gig to have. And There's I can turn around time. and say, now I've done the sound for Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was a genuine nice guy, though. I mean, you, you'd think he'd be full of it, but he was lovely. He smoked like a trooper at the time. I bet he doesn't, I mean, as soon as he, as soon as he finished playing, he, couldn't, I, he literally jumped off the stage, ran out the fire door, and I thought, that's the last we're going to see of him. He's going to go yeah. off with his manager and the support act. There was three of them travelling, that's all on this tour and I thought he's just going to be gone but he just ran outside desperate for a cigarette so he ran round to the front of the pub and literally bummed a fag off somebody and spent I don't know hours out there I think everyone in swimming had the picture taken with Ed Sheeran that night Facebook wow. the next day everyone was changing their profiles to them <laughs> with Ed out the front of the pub uh, <laughs> but he did he stayed and chatted to everybody so which is nice that, that was the very early days wasn't it of, of Ed oh god yeah. By that point, you are a massively established venue. You've already done incredible things. Um, have you got any, give us a, really a crazy story from your early days. There's loads of times. I mean, we had um, an incident where there was some guy kicking off about something or other. And I was going to grab him and just throw him out because I can't be putting up with that. And Alice went, no, no, no. I'll deal with it. Deal with it professionally. Do it correctly. I went, all right, then whatever. That's why I'm kind of doing the sound. About 20 minutes later, she came back. She said, right, I don't give a shit what you do. Get him out of here. So I grabbed him by his, by his collar, by his ass, from the venue, and marched him through, <laughs> kicking his ass. <laughs> and, and he's going, I've never been treated like this before. And I go, you've never been here before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really professional attitude, but it was good fun. You said you taught me uh, to keep idiots out that you kept your prices slightly higher. Yeah, it worked most of the time. I mean, people would come up to the bar and they say to Anna, and, she, and they say... <clears throat> Why are your drinks prices so high? And she said, well, I'll just keep the idiots out. But obviously it didn't work on this occasion. <laughs> but it's the same principle, isn't it? The, at the end of the day, we put a lot of stuff on. A lot of, a lot of stuff you pay for, a lot of stuff that's free. And I, I think the beer prices reflected what we did. People didn't come to the bit because it was cheap beer. They came because they knew there was summer on every night and it was always a good night. And that's, and that's it, isn't it? If you've got... 
a bunch of people desperate to get drunk cheaply as possible. That's yeah. not people you want in your in your venue to enjoy. We're in the wrong place. Go to Weatherspoons. Yeah. You know, that's what you exactly. want. Exactly. Right? Go there, you know. If you came in here, you were expected to, you know, behave, have a laugh. We all have a laugh. Everyone has a few drinks, too many sometimes. You know, I've taken loads of people outside and sat them on the windowsill, feeding them pints of water to sober them up. And if they sober up and they behave, then come back in. But, you know, <laughs> we all have a drink too many sometimes. <laughs> Me um, included. <laughs> let, let's talk about some of the bands then. Um, I, 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 I want to get stories out of you because I know you've got loads of <laughs> stories. Um, but, um, well, like when I taught you how to do the sound. Yes, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> who, who was the band? Can you remember who the band were? Yeah, but I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> okay, there they was a dreadful. band. Yeah, it was a band, and you were you were new to doing the sound for us, and you were, I think, trying to impress us how good you could do the sound. I was working at the 12 bar doing the sound, and when I came back, because the Vic had a later license, was still going, and I think the band were still playing, and we don't, you know, it's fine down there. And um, you're doing the sound, and I came in, and you said, look, I've done what I can do. There's nothing I can do to make it sound any better. And and I said, well, you can't polish your turd bake. The bands are awful. <laughs> you know, but you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> you, you absolutely set me up because you knew the band were awful. And you thought, I'm yeah. not Kieran could do that one. Yeah, but that's why you're there. And I was at the 12 bar with the good band. That's actually one of the best things that ever happened to me because obviously it gave me all those really difficult experiences that made me a better, you know, engineer, better communicator, yeah. whatever. You know, if it would have been easy, I wouldn't have learned anything. Well, Gus Brookfield was our sound engineer. Yes, that's right. And I took he over was for ages at the 12 bar, but all Gus wanted to do was support the bands that were playing. Of course, we had some of the bigger names at the 12 bar at that time. So if you had someone like Newton Faulkner, who was turning up and playing, Gaz would be like, oh, can I, can I do this? Can I do the support act? And I go, well, yeah, but you're doing the sound. So how are you going to do that? He said, well, I'll just set my own sound up, roughly, because it doesn't matter. Then I'll do the support. Then I'll run off and do his whatever, carry on. So, but that's why Gaz learned loads from doing, doing that and watching these acts and seeing how they work professionally. And you look how, how much Gaz has come on now. Oh, Gaz is sensational. Absolutely. He's a hat. <laughs> <laughs> and with that new Faulkner gig as well, there was a really good tip, I think, on that night where the crowd were being really loud. So we turned oh, yeah. them to yeah. shut them all up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, to be fair, it was their, it was their, it was their sound engineer, well, their manager, or his manager. I mean, he came over and, and people were talking and being loud and he said, turn the volume down. He said, oh, no, turn it, said, turn it down. And the more we turned it down, the more people had to be quiet to hear what he was playing. And, and people around the people that were noisy were telling them to shut up. And it worked really well. Apart from, that was the first night of um, the smoking ban. <gasps> it was the very first night. And wow. Anna was going around collecting all the ashtrays up to get rid of them and chuck them away. And while it was really quiet and a lovely little moment, she dropped every single one of them all over the floor. <laughs> Which was brilliant. <laughs> Everyone turned around and glared at her. But once the, the audience are uh, glaring at the venue, that doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> yeah, well, I was quite good at dealing with people. We had, um, what was that band, Anna, that you fell out with the management? Oh, there you go. They were lovely. Their manager, what a twat. I think he thought he was still 13 or something. He had his jeans hanging down off his ass. Uh, he was probably mid-30s, 40, I don't know. But he had his trousers hanging down his knees. 
and he's he's been a real real arsehole with Anna. Anyway, one of the one of the staff came up to me and said, Anna's having a problem with their manager, and she's in the kitchen with him at the twelve bar. So I went into the kitchen thinking, marching in, I saw it out. She's got him pinned against the wall, going, <laughs> telling him to act, act his age and grow up. <laughs> the band were lovely, but he was a twat. Some of the managers were twats. I mean, we had we had the damned come and play. And sometimes the promoters wouldn't give you all the information. But the dam came and played, which is amazing to have a band the size of the dam come and play for us. And just before they're about to go on, literally, I don't know, 40 minutes, their tour manager came up and said, um, you do know you can't have any um, glass in the venue while the band's playing. I said, what? He said, you can't have any glass in the venue while the band's playing. I said, we've only got glass. We don't have any plastic glasses. Why didn't you tell us this before? Well, I did tell the promoter. At this point, the promoter's slinking off out the door because he hasn't told me. And I said, well, look, I'm having a massive stand-up round with him. I am not going to stop people taking their drinks in there. I said, we're only making money from the bar. I'm not making money from the venue. The promoter's making the most of the money there. So... It's not happening. I'm not even going to bother putting it on if I'm not going to make any money. What is the point? The promoter's cacking himself because he's obviously paid up front for it. Um, so while we're all arguing, Anna sneaked off to Tesco's and literally got a trolley and bought every plastic glass they had. And we had people stood at the door. And as they're going from the front into the venue, everyone's pouring their drinks into plastic as they're going through. I hope you charge the promoter. Oh, yeah, we charged him with the glasses. We took that off his bill at the end. Too right. Yeah, damn right. If they told us before, we could have sorted it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, to tell us just before, you're like, Christ. But there you go. <laughs> That's promoters <clears throat> for you, Kieran. <laughs> hey, I don't think you ever had a problem with me. No, not at all. No, that's true. <laughs> you used to record some of the gigs, didn't you? And you went through a phase of recording shows, and you recorded a couple of mine. And one of them was the Frank Turner show that ended up on oh, that's the right. download. Yeah, that was really anniversary of his album. They released yeah. the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is on there now. Engineers. So yeah, yeah. I used cool. to do. I used to record a lot of bands, and then they'd have. Um, I'd record a couple of tracks, and then do, mix it down, and then they would go to the local BBC uh, local music shows, and then play their stuff live at the bit, blah blah blah, and do all that. Which is it's a lot of work, as you know, when you're mixing down and doing yes. stuff. But it was everything to do with promotion, obviously, to, of course it to was. keep the place so, up and running and keep the name time, everywhere. Every time that's played, it does say live at the Vic. So it's that constant exactly. reminder of what, how significant you are to the scene. Yeah, exactly. But that's what it's all about. I mean, it's all about contacts, as you know. And yeah. if, you, if you put one band on, you get the opportunity to work with another band, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way it works. And, you know, when we, when we sold the 12 bar and just made, carried on just maintaining and doing the Vic, because people like the way we worked, they still put some of those bigger names on at the Vic. You know, we had... Um, you had oh. Acoustic Levelers, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they came and played the Vic, and then they played the 12 bar as well. But we had um, the guy from... Oh, which one was it? Sorry? Oh, Squeeze, yeah. Glenn Tilbrook. Yes. Yeah, he was due to play the 12 bar, but they, they, we'd sold it, and it had not been promoted at all. There was no promotion, no ticket sales, so I think it was four or five days before, less than a week before, the promoter came up to us and said, look, anywhere you can move what you've got on that day and put Glenn on, because it's just not selling. I don't know, you'll, you'll do something with it. 
So, okay, then we took the gig on. So we even paid someone to stand outside the 12 bar and guide people that had got tickets to come to the Vic, which then they called the police. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, we, we literally filled the place, you know, in, in less than that time. And, and what I did a bit of research and what the people didn't know um, at the 12 bar, and what I didn't know at the time because it wasn't advertised, was it was Glenn turning up with a full band doing a special extra, a squeeze, if you like. Wow. Yeah, he turned up with his own drummer and some other instruments, you know, and other people, and and so they and the support act joined him, and they put a band together and played squeeze stuff, which was amazing. And I in fact, um, they also did um, a CD. They recorded it live. They patched it to the desk and did a live CD that night that you could buy at the end. You know, within half an hour at the end of the gig, the covers were pre-printed. The set list was the same for the tour. Is your CD live at the Vic, which I've got a copy of. So. So it was an amazing thing. So fancy losing that gig just by not promoting it. It was costing the venue nothing. But then again, that happens a lot, as you know, with venues. They just don't put the work in and don't... It's not, you know, it's hard work. You've got to promote it. it. Well, it is hard work. And, uh, you know, you ran the bar, but you also the sound engineer. And Anna ran the bar, but she was also your accountant. So you're wearing different hats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do totally different things. Anna was doing all the accounts and, and doing... Making sure everything ran smoothly. My job was to get people in and and do the promotion well bands and bullshit she called it my job <laughs> bands and bullshit i know this was everything else <laughs> you know what well, that, that should be your business card bands and it bullshit should be. bands and bullshit it was a lot of bullshit yeah there was a lot of bands <laughs> but it's all part of it i mean if there was an event if there was a quiz on you know i would host it if there was a wacky wednesday i would host it because you've got to get you know people knowing who you are anna was always behind the bar she was always there front of house you know, regardless of the manager, Linda was there. Anna would be there as well on the big nights. So everyone knew who we were, what was going on. And that's a good thing, you know. People need to know who's who. So obviously you've done a lot of rock and roll. How many times has your backstage been trashed? Uh, quite a few. In fact, <laughs> it got trashed. I can't remember the band now. One of the Swindon bands, we, we weren't, weren't there on the night. We came back and... We'd let them use the dressing room. So they decided to um, graffiti all over the walls in the dressing room because they thought it was cool. They thought it'd be cool to do that. So and unfortunately for them, they left all their equipment on stage um, ready to use for another gig the next day and pick it up. So we were literally going there before we went on holiday for the week. I got all their equipment, locked it in our sheds. Um, and then when they phoned me up and said, uh, where's all our stuff? I said, well, it's all locked up in the dressing room. And when you've gone in and fully decorated the dressing room, you can have it back. They said, well, we've got a gig tonight. Well, not your gear you haven't, because you're not having it. Until <laughs> you've done, so you've painted the dressing room, you're not having it back. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I no, mean, you, you, you're given the privilege of using the dressing room because they think they're a big band. Well, give it some respect, you know. Yeah, right. All the, all the names that, or bigger names that played there are grateful to have somewhere nice because they're using it for somewhere they've been traveling, they're on tour. It's nice to have somewhere with a nice comfy chair and a telly and a fridge. A shower. Exactly. And you look after them. And that's what it's all about. I mean, a lot of bands have stayed in the rooms at the 12 bar. You know, we've looked after them and they stayed the night. What was was the bands that um, played a gig, left a bass guitar, a really expensive bass guitar, and then (laughs) a year later and picked it up? I nearly nearly kept that. We had, uh, it was uh, Mentalica. It was the Metallica tribute. But anyway, I, I went into the kitchen and um, this was weeks after they played and, and stuffed <coughs> Mannequins of Cupboard 
was a brand new Fender bass guitar. I mean, it was absolutely brand new in a lovely case, everything. Awesome. And I think it was a cow covered, a cow skid case. Anyway, I kept asking around anybody, and there was a couple of personal things in it that wouldn't have been in a normal case. So I kept asking around, whose is it? And one goes, oh, it's mine, it's mine. I goes, okay, then what was in the case? Oh, it's not mine, really. It's not, you know. <laughs> and then over a year later, we put, we put them on. I think, it was, I think it was back at the 12 bar. And the bass player came over and he goes, it's a bit of a long shot, he said, but I didn't leave a bass guitar here last time I played it, did I? And I said, what sort of guitar was it? And he told <laughs> me, what was in the case? How did you wait over a year to come and claim it was yours? He goes, we do so many gigs. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what to do. But yeah, so we found that. But even even the guitar head that I use now with the Chaos Brothers was found in the 12 bar, left in a cupboard. And we never found whose it was. Oh. So, and in the, in the Vic on the wall is a, a Gibson guitar, Gibson Les Paul. That was found, left in the 12 bar. And five years later... One of the bands that used to play the 12 bar came back and played the Vic because the 12 bar shut. And he walked in and went, that's my guitar. And I went, sod off. That's not your guitar. He goes, it is. He goes, you look, it's wired differently. I've, I've changed all the switches in there. And I took it apart and goes, bloody is as well. He goes, you might as well keep it on there. It's been there so long. And that was <laughs> the guys from the Oasis tribute, Oasis and the Stereotonics. Oh, that, that was there years. And that's still they the were a hilarious bands. They were a hilarious. They were. I did their sound once, and they do the Oasis. Uh, they did Stereotonics first, and they go yeah. off, in, yeah. and they'd have the gap, they get changed, and come back as Oasis. Yeah. So you yeah. get all these piss punters going, "Oh, oh, yeah, the, the Oasis band are so much better musicians than, than the Stereotonics." Like, I know, and... exactly the same band. I know. It depends if you like one or the other, isn't it? So, <laughs> bloody, I mean, they, they're bloody good. And Paul, Paul, the, the frontman, Higgy, he's brilliant. He's so professional. Some of the tribute acts are brilliant guys, brilliant musicians, fantastic. Others think they are the people. And it's like... They're really? the band. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which is hilarious, you know. I mean, the Guns N' Roses one turned up to the 12 bar, had a massive row, punching, actually, on the stage at the sound check, hitting the shit out of each other. And I'm stood there just watching it. And they came over afterwards to apologize. I said, no, it's like the real thing. Brilliant. If you do that later on, that'd be really good. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, he said to me, oh, we've had, we've had such a big tour. They played three nights on the trot. That was it. Oh, yeah. massive tour. No, massive tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they've gone really, they've gone a, a European tour because they've been to the Isle of Wight. That was it. <laughs> Amazing. You're no longer involved with the Vic and obviously the 12 bar show. Are you kind of glad given the year? venues are having oh god yeah absolutely I, I mean i feel really sorry for everybody that's i mean to put through all what's going on at the moment but <clears throat> i think we timed it anyway we've, we've been left the vic now over seven years so we've been retired seven years and i think the timing for me and anna was right we we you know the eight and a half years we were there um we put everything into it and and the time had come to say that's it that's enough we, we all our ideas have gone there's nothing else for us to do let's hand it on to someone else um, but yeah, I, I, how people survive um, in the current climate, I don't know because I know a lot of the um, pub companies are still expected to get full rent. And you're talking tens of thousands of pounds for a lot of these pubs. You know, it, it's crazy the amount of rent and, and what the bills are with the insurance and everything else. So yeah. how, how they're supposed to get through that, I don't know. Um, difficult times, difficult. I would say. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you miss it though? Do you miss the sort of crazy buzz and, and the bustle? Uh, I, I don't actually, because I loved it and I wouldn't change anything that we did. Absolutely loved it, but it, it was time to leave. But there's <laughs> other things to do now. I mean, throughout your life, you do different stuff. I used to do motorcycle racing or play in bands. I do this. You move from bands, one band to another. Did you miss that band? Well, yeah, you probably miss miss some aspects of it, but you think, I've moved on to something else now. So, yeah, I don't miss it. I really enjoyed it. I would never go around and go, oh, I'm glad we're out of there. No. Kind of are, but I wouldn't have changed anything. You know, we, me and Anna used to wake up so tired, we'd just laugh at each other, get up, go into work, because you'd do 14 odd hours a day at least, every day, seven days a week, because everyone would say, oh, you're on holiday all the time. Well, we would, we'd go on holiday four times a year, but we'd work all the hours of every day in between. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up now because we've only got a few minutes left on this Zoom meeting. That's all right. No worries. Oh, um, you, can edit, um, you can edit me out. <laughs> but um, you, you've picked a track. You've picked um, a tune from Hip Root. Well, Jim, Jim's always been a good mate of mine. And um, we used to have um, Gary Stringer um, from Reef come and play with us in a band called um, This Is Them or Them Is Me. Anyway, and it was, it was uh, Gary and it was Jack, the bass player in this That's band. Right. And anyway, they, they didn't play Reef stuff, but they played all their new material. And Jim supported them and got really friendly with them. So when Jim released this, this track, um, Gary Stringer came along and did the vocals on it for him, which is amazing. So, it's very cool. Uh, uh, Gary, Gary was such a lovely, nice bloke. So, but there's plenty more stories and stories I'll tell you another time. So. But yeah, well, I'm going to so, say, Dave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say you've <laughs> got to come back because I've still got stuff I want to talk to you about, the fake speakers. The drummers used to think they were monitors and it's just spray painted on the wall. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll talk to you about the My Dad's Bigger Than Your Dad Festival. Um, yeah. There's well, loads but, of stuff I want to talk about. ACDC tribute that had the wall of speakers and they were all fake, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to that. It's, we'll it's we'll have another time. So, so sadly, they, the follow-up interview uh, from Dave uh, didn't happen Never. because we... Uh, he, he has. I think I think we I think we were quite lucky to get the interview in the first instance because you know obviously during that period it was during lockdown you know Dave wasn't he wasn't a well man so we were very lucky to to get him on a day that he was happy enough to do it and able to do it and uh, you know it's I know he, now he's talking to us beyond the grave but um, you know I think it's really important to have that to, you know to go to and just remember that the guy that he was he's hilarious. <laughs> You you wouldn't have guessed he was poorly for, from the interview, not at all. No, uh, it's it's really funny because um, he was always he's a very tall man and he was a very strong man. Remember that the first time I saw him after he had all his chemo, he was he had lot lot you know he was gaunt you know by comparison. And in this video, he looks so much more healthy. He looks like he's you know on the road to recovery. Yeah, he does look back back to his usual self. So it was lovely to see. So you're not, it's not too scary to watch. It's quite a nice video, really. So, so for people who who joined us halfway through this interview, um, this week's sheer isolation is dedicated to Dave Young, who, who passed away a weekend just gone. Uh, we are going to play the track that Dave picked um, in our in the original interview that we did with him last year. So this track is uh, from Hip Root Swindon Band. I think they're a three piece. Three uh, piece. They, yeah, and uh, they they. This video was uh, recorded with Gary uh, Stringer from the band Reef, and it's called Shout Out. That's, that's a great song to pick as well, because uh, that's what we do in music, isn't it? We give people shout outs, and it could be because they're brilliant. It could be because they've done something great. It could be because they've died, and they mean a lot to us. So big shout out to Dave. Um, forevermore, you'll always be in my memory at least.
You come now. 